Let me pray for us and we'll jump right in. God, thank You for this morning. Just pray that You would be working in us. Open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, Lord, to Your truth. Father, just pray that Your truth find its way to our hearts and that, Lord, You would motivate us and equip us to exalt You and serve others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so you made it to day three. So that's good. Halfway there. Um, what was day one about? You remember? You can cheat. Purpose? Okay. And what was that purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Good Presbyterian child. Alright. What else? What else happened on, on day one? On literally... No, not literally day one. That was let there be light. But What else went on? Sin. Sin. Entered the world. Adam and Eve said, you know what? I don't like not being the sinner. And Satan was like, well, here's what you do. You just eat this fruit that he said don't eat and then you'll be really happy. And that was really a lie. Um... And so yesterday we talked about how that initial sin motivated by selfishness has created for us a world in which selfishness is king. Uh, It's pervasive. We talked about Judas. We talked about the Pharisees. We uh, looked at that self-sins chart. We talked about self-pity. We ended with James 3 and had that root of selfishness and all the fruit that it produces. And I hope that you left... Uh, with the weight of the sin of selfishness upon you, okay? Because I think it'll make today far more meaningful. And, you know, this is one of those sins, and I was having this conversation with, uh, I don't remember, one of my students or maybe one of the leaders. Um, you know, we so often the church like holds up some particular sin as like the sin of sins. Like we hear a lot of teaching against homosexuality and uh, and those sort of things and sexual perversion and and lust and 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 the truth of God needs to be applied to those things. Okay, I'm not. That's not what I'm advocating. But I would venture to say that homosexuality, the sin of homosexuality, is not nearly as pervasive around the globe as the sin of selfishness. But man, do we not want to talk about that. Why? Because most everybody struggles with this at some level, right? I mean, either we're totally gripped by it, it owns us, or it's it's a daily struggle, as Paul says, at times in certain areas with certain people with certain things that we struggle to to kill the, the selfishness that is in us, okay? And the And the deal is you can't do that by yourself. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so I want to start like we did yesterday. We started with an example of what selfishness looks like. But I want to start with what an example of selflessness might look like. Um, And I want to talk about the Apostle Paul and the radical change that happened in his life. And so I want to start in Philippians because Paul talks about his previous life, his previous motivation, what he was really living for before he met Jesus. So Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's saying, look, if anybody should be entitled in in a sense to pride, it's me. 
Why? Because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so what Paul is saying is in the Jewish community, I was as good as you could get. I was on top. And Paul says, and that's what I wanted. I worked for that. I, I wanted to be the center of that world. I wanted people to know me, my power, my authority. But then something happened. And he starts talking about that in verse 7 here. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And let me say this, if you and I are going to uh, kill the selfishness that is within us, we have to see Jesus as far worth far more, far more valuable than whatever we're pursuing due to our selfishness. Does that make sense? So, in other words, I've got to see Jesus as, as worth more and greater than all those, those uh, awards and accolades that I was chasing as a high school student, as a college student, when I was just wanting to make a name for myself. It, is, it was when I saw Jesus as far more valuable than those things that I could begin to die to the selfishness in my own heart. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He said, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Okay, this is not gain Christ in a salvation sense. Okay, He's not saying, well, I gave up all these things. Now Jesus loves me because I gave up all these things. Paul is saying this as the more that we rid our lives of these distractions, these selfish ambitions, the more we become like Jesus, the more we get, in a sense, Jesus' power, His personality, His spirit. Does that make sense? We grow in Christ-likeness. And so he says, I wanted to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but he just told us that, right? He just said, I had my own righteousness that I was found in myself because I was you know, circumcised on the eighth day, child of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, zeal. He, he gives us the resume. But he says, Now my righteousness comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In verse 10, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, may share in His sufferings, become like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's gone from, I really want to make a name for myself, I really want to be on top of the Jewish world to, you know what, all that's garbage. No, I want, I want Jesus. And it's at that point that his life is transformed from the selfish, Christian-hating, church-devouring man to a selfless servant. All right, it's amazing. Just think about Paul's testimony. Okay, we see him in Acts seven as Saul. Stephen is being stoned, this prophet of the Lord, and he's standing there guarding all the people who are stoning Stephen's belongings. He's like, "Look, I'll hold your jacket. Give me your wallet. I'll guard them. Make sure nobody messes with them. You get this guy." As a matter of fact, the very beginning of Acts 8 says that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. So he's just as guilty. So we go from Acts 7 and 8, Saul okaying, participating in the stoning of God's prophets 
to Acts 9, this incredible encounter with Jesus. All right? Now, I know this is long, but we're at a Bible conference, right? So, I mean, and there's, I'm going to read a lot today. You're tired, okay? Just like hold your eyes open while I'm reading or something. All right, but hang in there because it's important. Because I want you to see that all these, this support that I'm giving for this selfless living is not because I'm some great servant and I've I've arrived on the on the the plane of of servanthood and I've got the, all the answers. I'm just saying it's in the Bible. And if you're going to live as if the Bible is your rule for faith and practice, which we proclaim, then we need to know what's in there so we can obey it. But here's a great example of the transformation that Jesus brings. Saul, now this is, the, this is awesome, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It wasn't like Saul was like, and now he's thinking about turning over a new leaf. All right, He's thinking about doing something different with his life. You know, he's been talking with Dr. Phil, and Dr. Phil has recommended, you know, giving of his time to others. No, this joker is like, I am on my way to kill more Christians. Alright? And he's really excited about it because that verse goes on to say, the high priests have signed off on it. Here's the paperwork. Alright? Go get some more Christians. And he's like, yes. And so he gets on the road to Damascus. And verse 3 says, He went on his way, he approached Damascus, and something happened. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, Paul, or Saul, excuse me, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That ought to be an encouragement to you, by the way. That, that Christ is so connected to the church. He is so connected to you and to me that when somebody persecutes you, wrongs you, attacks the church, Jesus says, it's just like they came after me. And He shows up and He says, Paul, why are you doing this to me? That's how connected Christ is to the church. It should be encouraging to us. And Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. But rise, enter the city. You'll be told what to do. The men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, having heard the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without light and neither ate or drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas, not Issachariot, just so we're clear. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so they might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, I don't... What? First he's like, I'm, here I am. And then the guy's like, hey, go to, go to Saul. And he's like, ooh, yeah, that... Nope. Don't like that. Alright? I mean, Paul is saying... Uh, uh, Look, I mean, this guy's been out killing... We, his reputation precedes him, right? He's been out killing Christians. And now the chief priests are signing off on him going around persecuting, imprisoning Christians. And you just want me to just go right up to him and just be like, I'm a Christian. And the Lord's like, yeah, 
That's what I want you to do. So he says, Go, the Lord does, to Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed. He enters the house laying hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He's the Son of God. So here this Christian killing, church persecuting man has this incredible encounter with Jesus and immediately, Luke says, as the writer of Acts, he proclaims Christ. That's a quick turnaround. That's an incredible turnaround from a man who's hating Christians, hating the work of the people of Jesus, to proclaiming Jesus Himself. That doesn't happen without Jesus. Paul says, that, and if you read the devotion this morning, you read these verses, that the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Apart from God, you cannot live selflessly to exalt the name of Christ. You cannot do it. It is impossible. In other words, if you're going to fulfill your God-given purpose of glorifying Him and enjoying Him and living so that others may know Christ, then you have to have some kind of life-changing encounter with Christ Himself. And here's what I mean. Say that you came in here at 10.15 and none of my stuff was in here, I wasn't in here, and so you waited. You're like, where's Adam? Hope he makes it. And about 20 minutes late, I come running in and I said, whew, sorry I was late. I was on my way here. Let's just pretend I was driving. I was on my way here and I got a flat tire so I pulled over on the side of the road and I was changing the tire and I took one of the lug nuts off the tire and it rolled out in the street and I ran out there to get it and a diesel truck ran over me. Okay? And so, I'm sorry. And I looked just like I do right now. Beautiful. Okay? (laughs) What might you say to me concerning my story? Are you okay? Oh, well, that's very selfless of you. But somebody who's not as nice as that guy, what might you say? Not so beautiful. <laughs> Ouch. You're not as good looking as you think. Um, you might say, hey, look, I, I think you might be lying. Because if you've had an encounter with a semi-truck, um, it changes you. Okay? <laughs> I don't know how many times you've seen Looney Tunes and they get hit by a truck, they stand up and they're flat, right? I mean, but if you encounter a semi-truck in the street, you're dead, okay? Or you're beat up pretty significantly. I should at least have some like dirt and stuff on my clothes. And here's what ends up happening is I see people in the church and I talk with people and, and we've read about some of those people who said, yes, we encountered Christ. We encountered God who's much bigger than a semi-truck, who's much more powerful than a semi-truck. 
and, and you look at them and you listen to them and you watch what they pursue and they are unchanged. What am I to make of their Christian testimony? Because Paul encountered Jesus and it pretty radically changed his life. And look, I'm not saying you got to like you were once a drug dealer and then you found Jesus. And now you don't, you know, you don't sell drugs anymore. I mean, that, that's an amazing testimony. But I suspect most of you, it's a little more vanilla than that, right? Okay, like you grew up in the church, you were catechized, Sunday school, vacation Bible school. A lot of you go to Christian schools. But if but if you are His. You have been changed. Like there's no gray area on that in the in the word. You think different, you act different, you're motivated by different things, your goals for life are different. And what Paul is saying is you, that can't happen without Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, you you change. Everything about life change. Christ is the self-sacrificing Messiah. It all revolves around Him. First, He makes us into new creations. After that, He models for us, this is what selfless living looks like. And then finally, He maintains our ability to live selflessly by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to look a little bit closer at each one of these because I think this is important. First, Jesus, the self-sacrificing Messiah, makes us into new creations. We cannot obey the Father until we have been made new. And thankfully, Jesus says, as He's sitting on the throne in Revelation 21, I make all things new. Like, that's what He does. That's what He is doing. That's what He will do. Eventually He'll make a new heaven and a new earth and He will take His new creations there and they will live forever in eternal joy. So how does He do that? Well, He promised this in Ezekiel. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone. I'll put a heart of flesh in you. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's not something you just conjure up. It's not just a new leaf you can turn over. I went to RYM, so I'm going to try something new. I'm going to live selflessly. Nope. If you're not a believer, the first thing you need to do is meet Christ head on. To submit yourself to Him so that He can take out that selfish, stony heart and put in a selfless heart of flesh and put His Spirit in you that causes you to be able to walk in His ways, to be like Him, obey His rules. That's not going to happen if you just go to church enough, memorize enough Scriptures, you know, Memorize the second catechism question because we all know the first one. So you just it, one more, and then Jesus will really love me. Okay? No. Supernaturally, your heart has to be changed in order to live sacrificially. Then you'll be a new creation. The old selfish person will have passed away. The new selfless person will come. 
It will still be a struggle. We'll talk about that more in a minute. I'm not saying that you'll just be done. Jesus comes on the scene. He saves me. I'm never going to be selfish again. Man, that sounds amazing. But that is only going to happen if when you see Jesus face to face. Either in His return or you're going to meet Him. Alright? I recommend the uh, semi-truck route. Okay, just kidding. Just kidding. Alright. But you, we cannot do this in our own strength. Alright? Can I... This is, it's a beautiful morning for a horror story. Alright? So I'm, gonna, I'm going right to the Bible for it too, so take that. Alright? Matthew 7. This scares me to death. And I'm not trying to scare you. Well, I, mean, I am trying to scare you. Okay? But hopefully at the end we'll put the pieces back together. Alright? Here's what Jesus Himself says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then will I, Jesus, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's church people again. It scares me. Because Jesus says, it's the people who do the will of my Father. The very next verse they say, but... We we did stuff. We prophesied. We cast out demons. We did all these mighty works. We lived selflessly for you, Jesus. He said, Man, I didn't know you. All right. If you go to the White House and you knock on the door, which you won't because you already have been tackled by Secret Service agents or shot on sight. Okay. But let's just say you make it past all that and you get to the door and you knock. And somebody opens the door and you say, I'm here to see the president. And they say, well, you can't come in. We, we don't know who you are. And you say, but, but I know Donald. I mean, he's, he's like, he's my boy, you know. And I mean, look at his hair. And I mean, look at, look at all that he's doing. And, and my whole state voted for him. And I used to watch him on that... Uh, Weird show when he was fired. You know, when he was doing that thing with all those people. The Apprentice, that's what it's called. I couldn't remember it in the first class. The Apprentice. I, I mean, I know him. I see him on TV all the time. I read about him in the newspaper all the time. I know that guy. And they're going to go and slam the door in my face. But look, if Donald knew me and I walked up and I said, it's, it's Adam Cummins here to see Donald. And they go in and they say, Donald, Adam's here to see you. And they bring him in. Alright? There's a significant difference there, right? In me knowing Donald, President Trump, sorry, I don't want to be disrespectful. Me knowing President Trump, and President Trump knowing me. Does that make sense? Well, here, these people, they knew Jesus. They'd seen him work. But there was something there, a lack of heart change, a lack of the new spirit, where Jesus says, Yeah, but I don't know you. And that relationship is vital to eternal life. It's essential to eternal life. Okay? Do you trust Jesus a lot? Or do you trust Jesus alone? And that's a hard question to have to wrestle with if you've been in the church for a really long time. Because we can talk ourselves into loving Jesus a lot. The hard part is loving Jesus alone 
and, and living for Him alone. But look, here's the awesome part. He'll make you into a new creation who can do just that. Who can love Him and Him alone. Live for Him and Him alone. And then He'll show you how that looks. Okay, The self-sacrificing Messiah, He models selflessness. So we'll talk about what this looks like a lot more tomorrow. And you won't remember any of that. I mean, you might remember some. But when you get down the road two or three years from now and you're like, man, I remember when that beautiful yet bald guy was talking about selflessness and he's, I can't remember all he said to do. Just go look at Jesus. okay? Just pick up the, one of the Gospels and read it. And whatever Jesus is doing, you model that. All right. I mean, when he's casting out demons and things like that, maybe talk to somebody else first before making an attempt at that. All right. But you know what I mean. It is in Christ that we not only get our change, but we get we get the 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 example that we are to follow. And so this is how Paul puts it. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul says, look, if you're going to be selfless like Jesus, this is what it looks like. You do nothing from selfish ambition. So wherever it is that you live, wherever it is that you work, wherever it is that you play, in all those spheres of influence, you don't do anything to bring glory and honor to yourself. You be humble. You consider others better than you. And when you do that, like that, if just that one little thing, I'm going to consider others better than myself. It kills bullying. It kills racism. It kills sexism. <coughs> You look to others' own interests. You begin to ask questions about their life. You don't hurry up and get to, to your group so you can tell your stories. But you ask. And you help. And you begin to try to make others successful. Others liked. Others to feel included. And it's amazing to me that Jesus doesn't cling to His equality with God. Like, we don't... It's... I mean, wasn't that what Adam and Eve tried their best to do? Make some equality with God? And now we struggle with it? Like, I mean, Jesus had no place to lay His head. They spit on Him. They rejected Him. And Jesus never once was like, why is this happening to me? You know? Why can't I catch a break? I mean, but we do that. We have no equality with God. We're dirt that God breathed into existence. And yet Jesus said, 
That's not something for me to worry about. I'm here to glorify my Father. So he emptied himself. He made everything not about himself. And he became a servant. He did the dirty work that nobody else could do, wanted to do. He wasn't too busy or too cool. He didn't think that job was beneath him. Like when the little kids were coming to him, he was not like, well, I'm, I'm equal with God and I don't talk to kids. So i got to do real ministry. No, he sat down and he put, him in, put the kid in his lap and he loved on them. He was humble to the point of death and he asked us to die to ourselves so that others may see Christ in us. And that's hard. And it's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit, which is also a provision of the self-sacrificing Messiah. Our ability to be selfless only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we talked that first day about all those ads, how the world just pounds us with, it's about selfishness, it's about you, you get yours. Alright? Don't worry about anybody else. If you love it, that's fine. Go with it. It's this attitude of selfishness. And then when Jesus gives us this new heart, we have the tools through God's Word and through the Holy Spirit to be selfless, but there's, there's this war going on, right? Paul says. The good I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. Every time I want to do good, evil's close at hand. Paul said it's a struggle. But here's the good news. John says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit that's living in you is, is far more powerful than the world, their lives, the spirit that they possess, stronger than your, the pull and desires of your flesh. It's greater and more powerful than the demons who are whispering in your ear. And you cannot underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot say, I just can't do this if the Holy Spirit is in you because that is a lie. Sometimes our flesh is weak. Sometimes we stumble. But there's never an impossibility of overcoming our sin. There's never an an impossibility of us overcoming our sin if we have the Holy Spirit. You can live this way. It is possible to die to yourself and live for Jesus if the Holy Spirit's in you because He is our helper. John says, The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He'll teach you all things, bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And so when you are confused, you don't know which way to turn, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit is there. How do I get over this selfishness that is so gross in my life? The the Holy Spirit will help you see it and fight through it and kill it in your life. Okay? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're dead. Check out that cool chart at the bottom of that minty outline. Those actually smell like mint, the green paper. I'm just kidding. But I appreciate those people who smelled it just in case. That would have been really cool. Alright. Like fruit scented paper. Do they make that? Anybody in the paper? Anybody work for Dunder Mifflin? Can you vouch for that? There's what? 
Oh, scratch paper. Next year. Come back next year. I'll try the scratch paper. Alright. But listen, if you're dead without the Holy Spirit, you are helpless in overcoming your sin. Let me read to you very familiar Scriptures. I know you're like, man, this guy's reading the Bible a lot. I know we're talking about Jesus. Okay, so we got to. Ephesians 2. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You know what dead people are good at? Uh, Being still. That's about it. Okay, They're good at being still. They're not good at living selflessly. They're not good at evangelism. They're not good at obedience. I mean, you could be like, dead person, get up. And they don't do it. Okay. Well, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. And we all once walked following the course of this world, that selfish course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the one who whispers in your ear saying, do it for you. We all used to do that. And if you are not a believer, you're still in that camp. But if you've been saved, this is past tense for you. That prince of the power of the air is the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That flesh loves carrying out the selfish desires of the body and the mind. And what does that do? It makes you a child of God's wrath. In other words, left in your deadness, you deserve to, to be thrown and cast as far away from God as possible into the very pit of hell. And that's a sad place to stop reading. So we're not going to do that. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love of which He loved us, even when you were in that dead state, before, just think about Paul who's breathing threats still. God loved him. And he takes off toward Damascus to go kill some more Christians or imprison some more Christians. And Jesus says, not today. And He intervenes. And you and I were dead. And we deserved God's wrath. And Jesus said, not today. Because God is rich in mercy. Because of the great love of which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would... No, boy, now we're... Not because of that verse, but because I lost my microphone. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk we should walk in them. Alright, so on that chart you see that first little circle, we're dead. And Paul says when you're dead there's no chance at selfless living. That God has to make us alive through Christ. And in making you alive through Christ, God gives us the tools that it takes to, to, to live a selfless life. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. But now, here's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can live selflessly. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can obey God. 
starting to sound a little heretical, so just hang on, alright? Don't panic. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is that you, so you can have fellowship with your Father. And as you commune with Him and become more like Him and you love Him and He loves on you and you learn more about Him and you fall more in love with Him, then you're motivated to obey. The Holy Spirit will help you do that. He'll teach you how to do that. He'll guide you in how to do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He restores that fellowship. He he comes to live in you. Christ has made you holy. The, the Holy Spirit is the deposit of your inheritance. It's the stamp of God's approval that I'm going to love this person every day, every minute, regardless of how good or bad he's doing. I love him because he's mine or she's mine. And because of that relationship, and the love of the Father poured out on you, it transforms us from some selfish jerks to selfless servants. Holy Spirit does that. And that's how Christ maintains a life for us of selflessness. Remember God so loved the world that He took... Nope. God so loved the world that He gave. So this selfless life is who God is. And so that when we think about Christ and the Lord, we think about a very giving, loving God. Listen, your selflessness does not earn your salvation. You're dead. You can't be selfless and dead. Those two things don't go together. When you're saved, you're made alive, then you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live selflessly because you enter communion with your Father, back into fellowship with Him, and out of a love for Him, you want to obey Him, Holy Spirit's helping you to do that, we can live a selfless life. Listen, this is an amazing quote. Here's the purpose of Christ's death on the cross. It's soul-satisfying fellowship with the Father. That's the aim of the cross. The aim of the cross is not for you to live selflessly. The aim of the cross is not for you to be a good little boy or a good little girl. The aim of the cross is to restore you to your Father who loves you, who gave His Son for you so that out of that soul-satisfying relationship you can go live selflessly. In other words, you get everything. Everything in that relationship with the Heavenly Father. It gives you everything. You're an heir to the kingdom. All that is Jesus's is your that belongs to Jesus is yours. You are a co-heir with Christ. In the new heavens and the new earth, we get it all. That's the point of the cross, is for you to enter back into that relationship with your heavenly Father and experience that outpouring of his love in your heart and your life, that transformative power that comes through that restored relationship. And you're so filled up, you're so in love with the Father that you become like Him. And if God so loved the world that He gave, then we become people who love God so much that we give. And we love the things that God loves. And He loves the lost sheep, right? Saw that last night. He loves the lost coin. He loves the rebellious son... He loves the Pharisaical son. And all of a sudden, as we that relationship was restored and we begin to love God as we should, 
those things that He loves, we begin to treasure and to go after. And He calls us to Himself. He satisfies our deepest needs. And then He says, go. Go make disciples. Because you have everything in Christ. You have everything when you have a relationship with the Father. So you don't have to worry about getting. You don't have to worry about the accolades and the trophies and the money and the fame and the fortune because you have everything in God which frees you up to die to yourself and go and make disciples. And guess what? We're going to talk about that tomorrow. We're going to talk about how this relationship, this selflessness fuels us to fulfill our purpose that we were called to fulfill. Does that make sense? Alright, let me pray. And if you got questions, hit me up afterwards. God, thank You. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, would You guide us into a deeper, more intimate, more meaningful relationship with the Father? Would it so fulfill us that we don't care about ourselves anymore? That our priorities become exalting our Father and taking the Gospel to those who don't exalt our Father. Lord, would You be with us? May we know Your love. And Father, would You motivate us to go and serve. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all.